everyone and welcome to the Dr. Christian Heim podcast where we're living for preventative mental health, love and compassion. Hey, it's really great to have you here again. I'm Caroline Heim and this is podcast four in the series, Overcome Negative Thoughts, Overcome Useless Thoughts for everyone wanting to improve their thought life and make their mind a better place. Today it's don't just think, do something. Oh boy, this is going to be a lot easier one than the last ones. So if you like these podcasts, please subscribe, spread the word and recommend them to others. In these uncertain times, it's such a good time to be working on your thought life. Here's Dr. Christian Heim. Yes, hello, Dr. Christian Heim with Don't Just Think, Do Something. This podcast will be very practical. It'll also be a little bit more laid back because it's a little bit less work. You get to think about noticing with the knack or working with your thoughts. In this method, you get to do something about it and it's easier. That just tells us how important and how difficult it is to work with thoughts, doing things, exercising, laughing, working, having fun, cooking, doing stuff, anything, anything like this will help you improve your emotions and your behaviors and generate more important and useful thoughts along the way. In this podcast, you may get the feeling that I'm sidestepping the real question of how to overcome useless thoughts, and I am, but I'm doing it in a very useful way. This podcast offers the most practical approach to generating better thoughts about yourself and the world, and it generates better thoughts quickly. So in that, it's really rewarding, and results can be immediate. Constructively doing stuff to generate useful thoughts to crowd out the useless. Here's a take-home message constructive doing crowds out useless thinking. So what will we be doing in this podcast? First, we're going to have an overview of doing stuff about your thoughts. Secondly, I'm going to introduce you to the world of behavioral therapy, which is extremely useful for all of us. And thirdly, I'm going to give you another one of those silly acronyms so that you can apply the information and know what to do about your thoughts on a day-to-day basis. Let's get into it. What can you do about your thoughts? Lots. Go for a walk, eat, drink, laugh, cry, sleep. Your thoughts never stop you from living. A thought cannot stop you from doing anything that you want. Remember from William James that you are separate from your thoughts. They cannot control you. You will need to manage them to have a good relationship with your thoughts. And this is the important insight. They don't stop you doing anything. Thoughts are just thoughts. The only power they have is the power that you give them. Another take home message, thoughts cannot stop you from doing anything unless you let them. You can experience the most horrible thought, but still decide to go for a swim, still decide to relax, or still decide to appreciate the person right in front of you. It's always your choice. You might be starting to feel a little bit better already. Think of a bad thought just like a cockroach. All that you need to do is walk away, or if you like, just like your foot is bigger than a cockroach, your intention and your choices are much bigger than your useless thoughts. Let's have a little talk about your intention. Your intention is your will, what psychiatrists like to call conation or volition. It's how you stay in control of your mind and how you decide to do whatever you want to do. Now, your thoughts contribute to your intention, but your thoughts cannot make you do anything. Only you can make you do something. 
Other people can influence you, they can pressure you, they can coerce you, but you still get to decide. Unless you feel you're being brainwashed or you're being threatened with death. And believe me, that does happen. But you're not in that situation. You have the freedom to decide to do what you want. Research into the will is ongoing. Many areas of the brain have circuitry dedicated to your will. Research into the faculty of your will is ongoing. Many areas of the brain have circuitry dedicated to the will, but it seems like a lot of activity is centered on the medial prefrontal cortex of the brain. Why am I telling you that? Just so that you know that the will is actually real and we are trying to find out things about it, but we don't know much about it. It's a thinking thing that we don't understand. But thanks to your will, you can decide to believe your thoughts and incorporate them into your decision-making process, or you can reject them. You can piss them off. Let's say you get a thought like, I don't feel like studying, but you get to decide whether you study or whether you don't. Or you get a thought like, I'm not good at riding a bike. You can still decide to ride a bike. If you get a thought like, I'll look stupid if I go up to that person and ask them a question. And you can still go up to that person and ask them a question. You are in control. You always decide whether to do things or not. With intention, you can always choose to override your thoughts. Objections, objections. Okay, let's hear it. But my thoughts stop me from presenting in public. They stop me taking risks. They stop me achieving what I need. They stop me feeling good about myself. They stop me from reaching my potential. They stop me from appreciating my relationships. They even stop me from getting one. Yep, that's true. I hear you. However, no matter what, it, what your useless thoughts are, I'll say that again, no matter what your useless thoughts are, you could with effort still decide to use your intention and your power of choice to override them. You can always tell me that your thoughts make things difficult for you, and I will agree with that, but you stay in control. You get to decide. If your thoughts are stopping you from public speaking, but a terrorist were holding a gun to your head saying, Hey Muggsy, I want you to speak to these people now or I'll let you have it. You will probably find yourself start speaking. Our actions, our reactions and our emotions give power to our thoughts or they take power away for ourselves. Just like Rocky with a gun, your thoughts can be annoying, despicable, limiting, persistent and even horrific, but they're still just thoughts. You've got the power. The power lies with the you that watches and decides the you that has thoughts going in your river stream of consciousness and deciding how to respond to them. Today, we're not going to challenge your thoughts or change them or even accept them. We're simply going to let them be. sorry, I just couldn't help myself. I will try to get serious. I will try to behave. That brings me to behavioral therapy, a therapy that is so useful and so ubiquitous that it's hardly a distinct therapy anymore, but it is. It's often coupled together with cognitive therapy to produce the very useful cognitive behavioral therapy or what we call CBT. And it's tailored to the needs of any given individual. Behavioral therapy 
is all about conditioning, developing useful habits. It's about rewarding behaviors that you want and ignoring or extinguishing behaviors that you don't want. Okay, so it forms the basis of many skills-based therapies that are popular in the workplace. Social skills training, assertiveness ther therapy, uh, communication skills training, problem-solving training, and sex therapy that may not specifically be for the workplace. Uh, it's also used in the treatment of eating disorders and as part of family therapy and couples therapy. But how does it impact thoughts? Through your feelings. Having useless thoughts makes you feel bad, whereas carrying out useful behaviors makes you feel good. And feeling good is empowering. It makes you feel capable as a person. And this leads to better thoughts. It was Darwin who told us that we're all conditioned by our environment. We avoid some parts of our environment, like snakes, and we adapt ourselves to other parts of it like deserts, polar areas, and shoebox apartments in big cities. The environment directly affects our behavior. It conditions us, so we adapt. We change our behavior to suit the situation. By doing something, you are changing your environment. And the most important environment that you're changing is the environment inside your head, your thoughts and your feelings. This environment determines the quality of your life. Changing a person by conditioning them was done by Columbia University psychologist John Watson. He did this with small children. In the 1920s, John Watson conditioned nine-month-old little Albert. Little Albert was totally unafraid of white rats. Thanks to John Watson, he was going to change all of that. He showed little Albert a white rat together with making a terrible loud noise. So little Albert, nine-month-old, became scared. John Watson did this a few times to condition Albert into fear. What a guy. Albert became afraid of the mere sight of a white rat without an, any awful noise. His fear was conditioned. Albert then became scared of anything white and furry. Fluffy gloves, slippers, even Santa Claus. Uh, these days, I've got to tell you, we kind of questioned the ethics of some of the things that John Watson did. But, you know, sort of back in the 1920s, uh, he could almost do what he liked. The conditioning of Little Albert was much like the conditioning of Ivan Pavlov's dog. Do you know Pavlov's dog? The dog who, in the 1890s, was conditioned to salivate at the sound of a bell. It was first rung as food was brought in, and then he would salivate just at the sound of the bell. So Pavlov's work was called classical conditioning, and John Watson's work was called operant conditioning for Complex reasons that I won't get any, into at the moment. All right. Fortunately, John Watson also deconditioned children's fears. For example, he deconditioned little Peter's fear of rabbits. Little Peter had a fear of rabbits. Oh, my gosh. That can really hamper your enjoyment of childhood stories, particularly by Edith Blyton. Peter was put in a high chair. He was given treats while a caged rabbit was brought in. Every time the rabbit was brought closer, Peter got a little anxious, but he was given treats. It's amazing what chocolate does. And eventually, thanks to the treats, Peter grew to like rabbits. And eventually, he played with them freely. This is called deconditioning. And the thing is that it'll work for all of us.
Dogs respond particularly well to treats, and you can teach an old dog new tricks. We have the science to prove it, because psychiatrists and psychologists got sick of hearing people say, oh, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Well, you can. Just reward the dog, not too much and not too little, make the treat unpredictable, and you can teach them new tricks. This will work with any dog. Dogs seem to like little pieces of liver, so give them one after they roll over on command. This is what's called positive reinforcement, and they'll do more of it because they want the liver. I know a lot of animals that can be trained with positive reinforcement. Dolphins, seals, horses, birds, and even cats, uh, sometimes. Humans, too, respond to positive reinforcement, to rewards. We do it every day. Pay us money and we will work. Make us feel good and we'll part with our cash. Give us a diploma and we'll study. Applaud us and we will perform. Give us love and we may even give love in return. Dogs always respond well to punishment as well. If you have a dog that barks too loudly and too sharply and you want it to stop, shut up. Don't go up to it and say, what is it, Reckless? What did you want to say, Rusty? How can I help you, Poochie Poo? Because you are giving it attention and this reinforces the behavior. The dog thinks, hey, this is great. My human comes whenever I bark. Instead, you have to clap loudly, squirt it with a water gun, or buy a high-pitched sound emitter to annoy the dog just a little bit to let it know that you don't appreciate the behavior and it will soon stop. Okay, so the idea of positive reinforcement or negative reinforcement and punishment came to us via Berhus Friedrich Skinner. In his Skinner box, he controlled the environment of rats and pigeons, and through conditioning, he taught them useful habits. And... We're going to learn useful habits for ourselves. Time for a little lackluster glossary. Positive reinforcement happens when you reward somebody for doing something. In humans, positive reinforcement happens when you work and you get paid or when you say something nice and somebody else says, thank you. Negative reinforcements happen when you stop a hurt as a reward for doing something that you want. It happens for a dog when you say heal and they heal and their choker chain gets a bit looser. It happens in movies when somebody stops beating somebody up because they decide to talk. That's back to Muggsy and Rocky again. Closer to home, it happens when you're in detention and you're allowed to leave after you wrote out 300 lines. It also happens when some parent stops nagging you because you actually cleaned your room without prompting. If they're smart, however, they'll actually give you positive reinforcement for this as well. Then there's also positive punishment and negative punishment, but I want to let you know about a habit. A habit is a pattern of behavior which is set up through repetition. It's often reinforced through rewards. This is positive reinforcement. And a habit can become automatic. It becomes part of your brain wiring. When it does, it becomes more difficult to extinguish. Extinguishing is doing the opposite of an unwanted habit, like putting your hands in your pocket whenever you feel like picking your nose. It's impossible to have your hands in your pockets and pick your nose at the same time. So if you find things like this for yourself, you can eventually extinguish any habit that you want. All right, so with this short list of terms and some clever planning, you're equipped to build good habits in yourself to help create good feelings and create better new thoughts. Reinforcement is more effective than punishment. So I'm not going to talk about punishment. I'm going to talk about reinforcement. We tend to punish ourselves, and a lot of people will say to you, as they say to me, don't be so hard on yourself, and they're actually right to pull us up on this. 
if we can redirect ourselves towards a good behavior and reward ourselves for doing it, it's much better than trying to beat the bad behavior out of us. We have studies to show that. So try to make this a habit, a habit of not being hard on yourself, a habit of rewarding yourself to develop these skills. That's all the theory you need. Now we're getting into the application. What can you do to overcome useless thinking? We're gonna use these techniques and take a rest from battling thoughts. What I have done here is cherry picked some techniques from behavioral therapy, and they're not used here to overcome mental illness, but to help you overcome useless thoughts. And they may help prevent mental illness in you. And I've organized them into another one of those dumb acronyms to help you remember. More doing means less thinking. So the acronym is be a doer. B-E-A-D-O-E-R. The B in be a doer is breathe. Breathe to relax. Whenever you're overwhelmed by useless thoughts, breathe to relax. Take in a really deep breath. Hold it gently, then let it out. You will relax. I like to keep it really simple. And I ask people to breathe in for three, hold for three, breathe out for three, hold for three. If you're able to do this five or 10 times, then your heart rate will slow down, your breathing will slow down, and you will notice good feelings in yourself. Breathe and relax as often as you can. Mid-sentence, pre-meeting, mid-argument, post-meeting, during a meeting, pre-sleep, anytime you have useless thoughts. It's a good habit and it's positively reinforced by the good feeling of relaxation. And it's negatively reinforced by getting out of your choker chain of useless thoughts. This whole world of breathing to relax is immense. So, if you like, you can type in words like deep breathing exercises, progressive muscle relaxation, meditation, mindfulness, prayer, contemplation, body stretching, and more. And these sort of techniques are becoming mainstream in psychiatry and psychology. They all involve doing rather than thinking. Find a breathing and relaxing technique that suits you and make it a habit. Stick at it. What I mean by that, when you start, you will find that it'll take some effort and some perseverance for a couple of weeks, three or four, before it becomes a habit for you. Try starting the day with some focused breathing and relaxation for a more productive, focused and relaxed day. This is positive reinforcement. It's so easy and actually relaxing, yet we have to remind ourselves to keep doing it. The E in be a doer is for exercise. Well, what more do I need to say about this? Because we have so much evidence showing that exercise protects against anxiety, against depression, even against anger. It becomes a no-brainer that exercise is good for you and your feelings and your thoughts. It's an enjoyable way to fight and help prevent depression. Unfortunately, we live in an age of sedentary lifestyles, and this contributes to depression and to useless thoughts. Exercise 
does what the body wants because your body gets to move its muscles, move its bones and your joints. It enables you to run, jump and swim. Your heart beats faster as it takes in good oxygen and nutrients to get to your muscles via your bloodstream. Your liver is happy to increase your metabolism. Your lungs are happy to breathe quicker and easier. Your brain is happy to be focused on exercise and let go of useless thinking. Every organ gets, to tr uh, gets a chance to strut its stuff when you exercise. Your body is happy when you exercise, you come alive. More blood flow, more energy, more nutrients, waste taken care of, releasing chemicals in your brain to make you feel good, particularly beta endorphins. Your mind is more alert when you exercise, your emotions get space to and time to clean out. You get time out from useless thoughts and feelings. Exercise is relaxation and it helps you sleep better. To exercise, just move more, do whatever you like. Run, walk, swim, go to the gym, take the stairs, play a sport. You may need to talk to a doctor if you're out of shape or if you have a medical condition, but even if you're in a wheelchair, you can exercise, you can move. It increases people contact, and this too will give you better thoughts and feelings. E is for exercise. The A in be a doer is for acquire skills. What's your special skill? What are you good at? What sport did you enjoy? What musical instrument did you play? What game are you good at? What do you do well? Now we don't need to be the best in the world at it. We just have to feel good about ourselves. Just a little bit good. Just doing something of what you enjoyed as a child and what you were a little bit good at will bring back those good feelings of being capable. Or you can decide to acquire a completely new skill to enjoy. This will make you feel good, it'll encourage useful thoughts, and you will feel capable. Uh, a good thing about the internet is that you can see the world's best in so many fields. One awful thing about the internet is that you see the world's best in so many fields, and we compare ourselves, and often we start to feel inadequate. But being the best is not the point. Feeling good and capable is. You can learn a new language, a new instrument, a game, anything. It's endless what you can try. Cooking, baking, passing exams, playing a sport, playing a musical instrument, finding things, having patience, listening, being emotionally sensitive to others, being logical, cleaning well, throwing darts, organizing things, doing magic or card tricks, making people feel special, being generous, developing business opportunities. You can be skilled at anything. Here's how to acquire a skill. Find something that you'd like to do. Learn how to do it and then practice and practice and practice until you get better at it. Set a goal, have a plan, break it down into small steps, then practice each step over and over and over again and get it right before you move on to the next step. Remember that the journey of a thousand miles begins with one single step. Uh, People who have worked with me in my office will know that I often recommend juggling because it's a high yield skill and it's fun. You can improve in it quickly. If you're about 20 years old, your brain is quick enough that you can be juggling three balls in about two weeks with 10 or 15 minutes practice a day. If you're 60 or 70, it may take a month of an hour a day, but you will get that feeling of, hey, I can juggle and this is fun. And when you do it, people will applaud and go, hey, that looks really cool. And there are plenty of good videos on the internet to tell you how to do it. There are other high yield skills, strumming guitar chords, cooking, 
baking, particularly when you cook for people who are appreciative. Oh gosh, it feels so good when people say, oh, that was wonderful. And working on your fitness in a gym is actually a high risk, uh, not high risk, it's a high yield skill. If you acquire this skill, you start to feel really good about yourself. Now, there are skills that take years of high level dedication, playing a violin, becoming a black belt in a martial art or deep meditation. These take a long time, but whatever you choose, you will feel better about yourself when you don't have a need to impress other people. You do it just to feel good for yourself. This will generate good feelings in you. That was A in be a doer, acquire skills. Now we go to do. In be a doer, the D and the O are together because they say do useful stuff. If you enjoy your work and find your work useful, then in a sense, you don't have to work a day in your life because you're engaged usefully, you enjoy it. If this is not the case for you, find something useful to do. Help somebody out, volunteer for a charity. The feeling of being useful for other people is so underestimated. And we have studies to show that it makes you feel so good to be able to help somebody else out that it almost feels selfish. People think that volunteering is no fun, but no, there is actually such a thing called a helper's high because you help other people and you get this feeling of having done some good, even if it's a good day's work. Just cleaning the house can feel useful and make you feel good if you can have the right attitude towards it. But it'll take some initial effort to reward, uh, to, to reap the rewards of feeling good about yourself and getting better thoughts. However, in a way, this is what all of life is all about. Do useful stuff for feeling good about yourself and having better thoughts. So the do in be a doer is to do useful stuff. Now, the second E in be a doer is for expose yourself. And I'm not talking about the kind of expose yourself that you may be thinking of. I mean expose yourself to art, music, poetry, anything that you consider to be useful, uplifting, noble, enlightening, or valuable that is still pleasurable. This may include reading uplifting books, going to art galleries and museums, choosing a great movie, or listening to whatever music you admire. It may include things that your grandmother told you about that you think are boring, Gardening, cooking, baking, bushwalking, sewing, knitting, crocheting, painting, or keeping a diary. Exposing yourself to these things will generate useful thoughts and good feelings in you. Pleasure doesn't always need to be an adrenaline rush, or it doesn't always need to involve sex and violence. A small amount of pleasure over a long period of time can result in feeling good for a long period of time. And that is our second E in Be A Doer. I'm going to cheat a little bit for the last letter in be a doer because the last letter is R, R, but I'm going to give you three R's. The first R is read. Be a doer, R is for read. Read for information and more importantly, inspiration because books on useful subjects will give you useful thoughts. Find books that inspire you and give you more inspiring thoughts. And one of the most useful ways that we humans learn is through modeling other people. Children learn by watching and imitating others, particularly their parents. And many of us had a mentor, a teacher, a coach, or a leader who shaped us. 
we as adults watch how other people do life to see if there's anything that we can learn from them. And modeling shapes our behavior. So you can read books about other people that you admire. This too is modeling. Uh, it is modeling. Choose whoever you want. Read books about them, watch movies about them, and model them. Psychiatrist Victor Frankl thought this was so important that he made a whole therapy out of reading books, which he called bibliotherapy. The second R in our biodua is relationships. Cultivate good relationships. Every person you meet is a universe unto themselves. They are as interesting and as unfathomable as you are. Whether it's friends, family, strangers that you're just getting to know, or your love partner, you will feel just a little bit better. You'll have good feelings about yourself when you get to know them. There is so much interesting and challenging for you in getting to know another person. And yes, all of us know that getting on with another person can be challenging, but this is actually good for your brain. So cultivate relationships for good feelings and useful thoughts. The last R that I'm going to give you is a double R. It is a rhythm and routine. We humans are creatures of habit. We can feel very comfortable with rhythms and routines. Now, if we look at the natural world around us, I'm just having a quick look now. Oh, look at that. Oh, what about that? There are rhythms and routines. There is day and night, tides, the moon's phases, the passing seasons, and a whole lot more. And our own bodies have natural rhythms. Circadian rhythms uh, to keep us awake or put us to sleep. These are reinforced by hormones that are released and they govern wakefulness in our energy levels. Our gastric system, our digestive system, actually works to a rhythm of eating and not eating for a while. So the rhythm is eat, digest, eliminate. Eat, digest, eliminate. Breathing and heart rates are also in rhythmic patterns. And there's a monthly menstrual strike, uh, cycle which is reinforced by hormone levels as well. The thing is that you can organize your life according to daily cycles, times of work and rest, and an eating pattern. You can have a weekly cycle when you do work and when you rest. And then we have a yearly cycle of when we declare taxes, when we have holidays, and when we celebrate certain things. So here are some suggestions to keep a good rhythm and routine. Go to sleep and wake up at about the same times. Eat meals at about the same times. Exercise daily at about the same time. Work for four, five, or six days out of seven, but have days for rest as well. Engage in entertainment and really enjoy yourself on a Friday and a Saturday night. And engage with people on a regular basis. Now, this is not dull. This is not boring. Rhythm and routines keep life predictably comfortable. But you spice them up with the occasional exciting highlights. That's what Friday and Saturday night is all about. But it's against that background of routine that makes an exciting Friday or Saturday night so exciting. And look, in this world of constant change, constant anxiety and constant uncertainty, we actually crave rhythm and routine. And rhythm and routine makes for more useful thoughts in us. I know, I know what you're saying. We humans also need novelty, spontaneity, and fun. Yes, 
And that's why we need the novel highlights. Expose yourself to new people, a new adventure, a new way of driving home, a new lovemaking position, a new idea, but always go back and enjoy your rhythm and routine. In a lot of ways, life is like a good song. And yes, I am thinking Let It Be by the Beatles. The verses are really quite predictable and the choruses are quite predictable, but there are just enough surprises along the way to keep us interested for the long term, not for the short haul. Lastly, to keep all of these things working for you so that you have better feelings and more useful thoughts, reward yourself. This is the best way to make behavioral therapy work. I've always wondered why, as adults, we know that rewards work for children, but we don't use them for ourselves. Uh, you know, money, sex, love and holidays and status are not the only things that adults react to. As a psychiatrist, I've asked some adults to work with star charts for themselves. Now, first they laugh them off, but the inner child enjoys it. You too may laugh, but a private star chart that you tell nobody about may be a powerful motivator for you because the brain remembers how good it feels to earn a star. Now, you may need to be a bit more inventive for your big treat when you reach 20 stars, but your brain will enjoy it. It's like a game and we all like a good fun game. So give it a go or get somebody else to compliment you on the job that you're really doing well. Reward yourself, get others to reward you. It feels good. So that's it for this week. In a nutshell, what we're doing with behavioral therapy and what you can do about your thoughts is sidestep your thoughts. Leave them alone for a while. Do something useful to make yourself feel good and the amount of useful thoughts that will come in will crowd out the useless thoughts. Remember behavioral therapy, positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, but more than anything, remember the idea of rewards. You want to feel good about what you're doing. And the acronym, the silly acronym is BEADOER, B-E-A-D-O-E-R. Breathe to relax, exercise, acquire skills, do useless stuff. Ugh can't believe I said that, do useful stuff, expose yourself to art, music, culture, anything that makes you feel good. Then there are the three R's, read for information, for inspiration, to model people, relationships, cultivate all your relationships with family, friends, and people that you'd like to get to know. And the last R is your doubler, rhythm and routine. Keep them in your life, look for them in your life. The idea is to help you generate better, more useful thoughts by doing things that feel good. This has been Dr. Christian Heim. I'll see you next time. Do what you can for pleasant thoughts. That was podcast four in the series, Overcome Negative Thoughts, Overcome Useless Thoughts. Do things rather than battle your thoughts. Do something useful, anything useful, and your thoughts will get better. Be a doer. And don't forget to reward yourself. Remember, if you like these podcasts, please subscribe, spread the word, and recommend them to others. This has been Dr. Caroline and Dr. Christian Heim. We'll see you for part five.